So we are, in Galatians chapter 5, we are coming towards, coming to uh, the end. The first two chapters, when we looked at Galatians, we saw where Paul was addressing a situation that was going on there in the churches of Galatia. And he's kind of laying out, here's the problem, and here's the problem I have with the problem. And in in Galatians 3 and 4, he is presenting evidence. Just imagine a court case where he is presenting evidence, whether it's personally what happened to them personally or historically what they remember back biblically in their Bible history. Uh, He's bringing this idea that what these Judaizers are wanting them to do is to add to what God had intended for them justified by faith alone. And what that means is we don't need to do a bunch of stuff. We don't need to add to a bunch of stuff. The scripture is really clear that if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if we want to be forgiven of our sins that keeps us, that keeps us separated from God, if, if that's what we want, then all we have to do is put our faith and trust in Christ. And the scripture spells it out in a way that says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so that's as simple as it gets. All right, so Paul is addressing this. And here, as he gets into chapters five and chapter six, he is going to kind of make it a little more practical. He's going to bring it home a little bit here. And I want us just to look at the first few verses here in Galatians five, verse two where he says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting on the hope of righteousness." For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now, I want us to, as we look at this, Paul is not, when he he brings up circumcision, he is not at all saying circumcision is a bad thing, shouldn't be done, or anything like that. What he is saying is circumcision should not be connected to, or any works of the law should not be connected to, to saving faith, being justified by faith alone. We should not put circumcision in front of faith. If you want to be circumcised, that's fine. Paul, as a matter of fact, if we look back in Acts chapter 16, when Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, it's in response to something that has happened throughout Galatia. After Paul's first missionary journey, he, when he came back to Antioch, this became an issue in his church in Antioch as well. It, the word got back. It reared its ugly head there in Antioch. And the church sent Paul and Barnabas and Titus and others down to Jerusalem to sit down with the apostles and talk with them. And we see that whole conversation in Acts chapter 15. So in Acts chapter 15, Paul is there with the apostles. They're working through some of this stuff. They're, making, they're coming up with an agreement that they're going to send out to the churches and all that. And then starting in Acts chapter 16, this is Paul on his second missionary journey. He's going back through the region. And on his second missionary journey, he says this. Paul came also to Derby, to Lystra, and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was Greek. 
And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in the, in, that were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So after Paul had all of this conversation, this sit-down meeting with the apostles, and, and, and plan, he wasn't saying that circumcision is a bad thing. He was saying it was not to be connected with salvation at all. Or any of the works of the law should not be connected to faith at all. It should not be there. Here, Paul is basically, when he, in, in Galatians chapter 16 there, he's going to take this young man, Timothy, who has not been circumcised, and he circumcises him. Why? So that when they do go through their missionary journeys, he's going to be able to go into the synagogues and teach and, and communicate with everyone without getting run out of the synagogues because he's not circumcised. He is doing this so that he can have the right to be heard. He doesn't want to build any walls to the gospel. He wants to be able to share the gospel with people. And, and there are people, there, we have missionaries all over the world who use similar things. Where, whereas in India, for example, when we were there, one of the things I noticed is that when, when women are praying in India, they cover themselves. They, put, they pull this little, uh, whatever they say, what is that, scarf or whatever, to whatever that thing is called. I don't, I don't remember these words. Shannon's trying to tell me. Uh, you pull it over their heads and they pray this way. Now, whenever an American woman comes along, they do that. Why? So that people aren't stepping back going, why hasn't she got something over her head? And start thinking about all of these other things. Not wanting to build a wall, not wanting to cause a, a, a problem to get people distracted from what we're trying to do. And so these are just things that you do when you're, setting, when you're setting down with people and, and trying to engage them with the gospel. And that's all Paul is saying there in Acts chapter 16. The reason he took Timothy to be circumcised there is so that they would be able to freely go about the region and speak to people God's word and God's promise in the synagogues because that was Paul's practice. Remember, everywhere he went, he looked for a synagogue to start walking into and start teaching. And so that's not... He's not opposed to that, but he doesn't want it to get in the way, circumcision to get in the way of the gospel. Jesus plainly spoke. When he went to people, he said, come, follow me. He didn't say follow the rules. He said, come, follow me. And when Paul here is saying, if you're going to be circumcised, you might as well follow all the law. And one of the things that that uh, I actually saw someone years ago do something like this, and I just thought, thought of it yesterday. I thought this might be somewhat helpful. I don't know if it will be or not. Forgive me if it isn't. But imagine if I'm, I'm, I have my faith in, in Christ and all that, and I want to add circumcision. I want to balance circumcision and all that. And so I'm sitting here balancing circumcision. And, and as I look at this stick, I can probably balance this pretty good. But if I take my eyes off that stick and start, and start talking to you guys, you see what happens. And so what happens here is you begin to focus on the act, the work itself, so that you can maintain this thing, and you're taking your eyes off of what? Jesus. Now imagine if you move on from circumcision, you add a few more laws. It gets a little more difficult. As long as I'm looking up here at this thing and watching it, I'm okay. But as soon as I take my eyes off this thing and start looking at you, I struggle. Let's just say we go a little bit bigger here. And I can probably do this for a little while. Not all day, but I could probably do it. But as soon as I, I'm going to do this. So as soon as I take us off and look at you, 
You see the picture here? You're balancing something. You're trying to add something to your walk with God, your focus, your zeroing in on Christ himself and him alone. And once you do that, what Paul is saying here is you're severing yourself from Christ. Not that Christ is severing you from him. You are doing it yourself. How? By focusing on this so much, you lose sight of where Christ is. You lose sight of what he has planned for you. You lose sight of his direction. You lose sight of him. Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not the rules, not the laws, not all these other things. So Paul here, when he's writing this to them, he's saying, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. Those of you who are wanting, you are separating yourself. You have been severed from Christ. Not Christ has sent you away. Because basically he's saying, you never have had Christ if that's what you're going to focus on. If what you're going to focus on is what you can do to obtain what Christ wants to offer you freely, if you're looking at it as something like, I'm going to do something because, so that I can feel better about myself, so that I can f- convince myself that I'm a good person, it's just not going to happen. More than likely, a person never was a true follower of Christ when they start depending on themselves and works and different things like that. Paul here says that, for through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting on the hope of righteousness. This waiting on the hope of righteousness is not wishful thinking that it's going to come. This hope is a certainty. It's coming. And Paul here is just saying, we're waiting in Christ. Through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. And this righteousness that... He's talking about here. We know that it is, again, we, we, remembered Paul, or we remembered Abraham back in the day when he was, when, when, in, in Acts chapter, I mean, in Genesis chapter 15. If you'll remember, he, it said that God reckoned to Paul, or to Abraham. Man, I got to stop doing this. God reckoned to Abraham. He reckoned to him it was righteousness. What was righteousness? His belief in God. It was because Abraham's belief in God that he was determined righteous. Not because of circumcision, because that didn't come for another 14 years later. It wasn't because of the Mosaic law. That didn't come for another 600 plus years later. In Genesis 15, Abraham was considered righteous because of his belief, because of his faith in God. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not in our works, not in the Mosaic law, not in circumcision, but in him we might be righteous. And I have to read this to to you in Isaiah 61. This is, uh, I just... As I was doing some study this week, I found this in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in him, in God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe robe of righteousness. 
Paul kind of refers a little bit back to this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, when he says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been clo- have clothed yourselves with Christ. The idea here is that when God looks down on us, he doesn't see my righteousness. He sees Christ's righteousness. Why? Because I am clothed in him. He has wrapped his, the robe of righteousness around me. He has given me a garment of salvation in this robe of righteousness that God, when he looks on me, he sees Christ, what Christ did for me on the cross, what Christ offers for me from the cross. That's what he sees. Our righteousness is not in of ourselves. It's in Christ and not of these works. And so that's why it is important that as we go through this thing called life that we are pursuing Christ. We are fixing our eyes on Christ, not all the other things around us that might want to get our attention. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. I want us to see this here. He says, Uncircumcision is going to get, I mean, circumcision is going to get you nothing. But in the same way he says uncircumcision, that's going to get you nothing as well. Those things mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. I used an example a a couple of weeks ago, maybe, about how sometimes we get hung up on legalism, even ourselves. Uh, And and we talk about, you know, we just want to read the Bible all the time. We we don't know enough about the Bible to do what God wants us to do. When I get enough knowledge here, then maybe I'll be a better person here. And friends, that's not the way it works. The Bible's the Word of God. I want want us all to read the Bible and all that. But if we spend all of our time just trying to pour it in just so we can fill our heads with knowledge, it's not going to do a thing if we don't allow the Spirit to transform us according to His Word. Not just understand things, not just learn things. We have to be transformed into his likeness. We can pray all we want to make it look like, well, I'm, I feel good about myself because of spending time praying. We can go down Facebook and say, praying for you, praying for you, praying for you all day long if we want to and, and all that. But are we truly praying to know God and to be known by God or are we praying to get the results we want from something? Just read, read the Facebook post, man. You can see people praying for results. And that's okay, but I don't see many times these folks praying, God, transform me. God, change me. God, show me. I see them wanting God to do all kind of stuff. I don't see them praying, empower me, enable me, equip me. So we can make even, just like there, circumcision or uncircumcision, they mean nothing. Listen, it means nothing if you sit around and read the Bible all day and pray all day and all that if you are not being transformed by Christ. If all you're interested in is being known as a prayer and to learn about the Bible in your head, to come an academic exercise, it means nothing. And so Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, he wants them to understand here, man, you Yeah, circumcision, but uncircumcision is just as meaningless. Don't take up either either or and and make that that a war cry or anything like that. Don't do that. Pursue Christ. It It is in Christ that we are righteous. He says, but faith working through love. You were running well. 
Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Right now, he is about to transition from his, what he's talking about here as far as his really hard stance on balancing the, 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 the faith with works. He's, he's, he's presenting a hard argument here for people to understand about abandoning those things and don't consider those things and focus in on Christ and Christ alone. But now he's going to start talking about who's, start, who's stirring it up amongst you. And right now, he says, you were running well. When I was there with you, you were learning and you were doing and you were gathering and, and, and as a church and you were meeting. And when I came back through on the back half of that the first missionary journey and we appointed elders, man, things were going so well for you. What, what has happened? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him, him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And that's kind of like, honestly, that's just kind of like saying a little leaven. You know, I know we pro- most of us know what that means, but in today's vernacular, we might say something about a slippery slope or a domino effect or ripple, uh, domino theory, or ripple effect or anything like that. In other words, what he's saying here is a little dough, this little bit that's going to get through the whole crowd. If you start taking one step towards works, then it's just going to keep growing. You're going to, go, you're going to keep moving in that direction. You're going to become someone who's more and more interested in those things that we're talking about the, the, that are not a part of faith. I have confidence in you. In the Lord, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Now, he's calling this one guy out right here. He's he's, undoubtedly there is this one. We know that there is a group of them, but he's calling this one person out here. I don't know. I don't know who this person is, but they are disturbing you and they're going to be held accountable to you. James actually writes, I believe it's in James chapter 3, he writes something about not everybody should be teachers because those who are teaching are going to be held accountable at a higher level. In other words, me standing up here and preaching to God, I'm going to be held accountable for the words I'm saying here more than if I was sitting out there listening to what somebody was saying. God is going to hold me accountable for anything that I say to you and I, and, 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 and I will hear about it if I got something wrong. I will hear about it if I did something wrong. God, God's going to lay that on me and anyone who stands in front of people and teaches them God's word. And, this, and, and what Paul is saying, that guy who is disturbing you, who is coming in and doing this, his is coming. His is going to come. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Undoubtedly here, and every commentary I read this week says this, we we don't hear of what this stumbling block is outside of circumcision and all that, but undoubtedly whoever is doing this, this one person or this group of people, are saying that Paul is in agreement with them. They're they're basically saying that, you know, what I'm telling you here, Paul, we've talked about it or whatever, and he's in agreement with us. He believes in this stuff himself. And so they're confusing the church. You can imagine how confusing that would be if that were to happen here. If, if, if someone were to come in, you know, after, after, I, after I leave here this afternoon and you guys are still standing around and someone comes up here, hey, listen, I got to tell you something. Unless you eat bologna with mayonnaise, man, you ain't got it. And I can say, no, 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 man, bologna with mustard, that's the way to go. 
It's baloney with mustard. And someone comes and says, no, blo-. David, I've talked to David about this. He agrees baloney with mayonnaise is the only way to go. And you guys are going to be confused about that, right? I don't like baloney anyway, but mustard kills it more than anything. So, but, but you get what I'm saying here. Whatever it is I'm teaching, someone can come in behind, teach something contrary, and then say, well, David agrees with this. David's okay with this. That would confuse many of you in this room. And Paul, is just, Paul here is just saying that if I still preached circumcision, if it is true that I preached circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? Why are they coming after me? Why are they running me off when I go somewhere? Why are they coming all the way to Antioch here to stand in front of my church and get on to me about all this? Why are they coming down to Jerusalem when we're talking with the apostles and stirring it up? Why are they still coming after me? He said, because if I did agree with them, If I did agree with them, the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. In other words, what Paul is putting before them is the cross, what the work on the cross is all that was necessary for salvation. And if Paul agreed with them that works was a part of it, he said, man, that stumbling block would be gone. That, 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 That thing that they don't like the most, justified by faith alone because of the work of the cross, if that was out of the picture, then what is the problem? Why are they persecuting me? And that problem would be gone. And more than likely, this is what brought on this next phrase here. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. That's not a very nice thing to say. You know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just not a, a good place to go. But Paul here, one of the things I know for me, I can't speak for Paul, but I, I think I can a little bit from based on just his character and things like that. He doesn't want anybody misrepresenting who he is or what he says. The one thing I, don't, I, I hate more than anything is when someone thinks something about me or, or that is totally false, that is totally untrue. When they say things or, or, or consider things, that I, I hate that, especially when it is almost like misrepresentation of my character or misrepresentation of you know, my integrity or anything like that. I do not like that. And Paul here, he's just saying, this guy... He's going around saying that I agree with him. I don't. And if I did agree with him, why are the problems still happening? Why am I still being persecuted? If I, was, if I agreed with him, I would not be persecuted. The cross would be out of the picture. This, this justified by faith alone, we wouldn't be having any problems here. I'm, and, he, and, and he just goes in and says, I wish that guy who believes that circumcision is so good, brings you closer to God, that he would show his devotion to God and just castrate himself. That's basically what he's saying here. Show me your devotion. You say that that's the way you're showing everybody your devotion. You're saying everybody should do that to show that they're devoted to God. If you really believe that, then just take it to the ultimate limit and castrate yourself. Now, Paul, you know, he's, he, he, when you read this, he's angry. He's not just trying to teach and communicate and all that. Right here, he is angry. And then he tries to get it back on track. He, early on, he's talking about, he get, uh, early on in those first few verses we looked at, he's kind of trying to get them to focus on this relationship with the works and the relationship with works and justified by faith and, and all that. He's giving them some practical advice. And then he gets off on this tangent where he's confronting this person out here. He gets back on track here in verse 13. Look at what he says. 
For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Multiple times throughout the book of Galatians, he has used the works of the law as a, and, and he's brought in you know, images of bondage or slavery or those types of things. And as far as the promise and faith and all that, he, it's freedom. And so he's, he's had this issues of freedom and slavery and, 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 and that he wants them to recognize the freedom that they have in Christ. But he also here wants to not to take it too far where they think, okay, free to do anything. Uh, we, we saw, we, we read where Paul said in Corinthians to the church in Corinthians, he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul recognizes that in Christ, there's a lot of things that he could be doing, but he's not going to be doing those things because he, he doesn't want them to take control of his body. And he, 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 he wants to stand with integrity before people. I remember early on in my ministry, I had decided that, I, I, I take that back, not early on in my ministry, early on in my walk with God, I became a Christian when I was 22. And, and I still, at that time, I still drank. I didn't see anything wrong with it. And there were other people out there, um, you know, having drinks and, and, and different things. I just thought, well, it must not be an issue or anything. But one day as I'm standing around, I'm, I'm starting to come out and teach in youth groups more and stuff like that. I just had this image of what would it be like? Those, those teenagers, as they sat there and look at me, what kind of a message am I sending them if I'm opening up God's word with a can of beer on the pulpit? What does that say to them? Now, I'm not saying everybody should stop if you're having a beer or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. That is, that is between you and God. The scriptures allow, the scriptures does allow. It doesn't say anything about thou shalt not drink. It does say don't get drunk. But it doesn't say anything about not drinking. But for me, I did not want to, for the integrity of my word, when I'm telling someone about, about, being, about being a slave to God, is that, that I'm a slave to God because I know he's there to protect me. I know that I am just one decision away from that slippery slope of not just having a drink, but having multiple drinks. And who knows what happens after that. I know I am just one decision. So for me and my walk with God, in order for me to stand with integrity before God and before people that I serve and before people that I'm trying to teach, I decide for myself I'm not going to do that. Paul here is saying in Corinthians... That that is, he's not going to allow anything to control him. Peter actually says this in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And again, this idea of being God's slave, I just... I was actually, I, was, I try to walk our dog fairly regularly. We've got this little Havanese puppy thing, and, and I try to walk him regularly. Because I know being stuck inside the house and inside the yard is just, I mean, it's got, it's got to drive this little mutt crazy. And I think one of the things he enjoys is to get out in new environments and sniff new things, and yes, mark territory, and all these kinds of things that he likes to do. And so, so I put a little leash on him, and I'm walking around with him, and every now and then he tries to run off from me, and I'm tugging on that thing going, Rancho, 
Stay over here, Rancho. Stay over here as we're walking. Now, some might look at that as me having a leash on him and saying that I'm not allowing him to run free. And I look at that as saying, you are able to come out here with me because I know if I were to just let you go, number one, you might not ever come back. But number two, you could run out right out in front of a truck, right out in front of a car. You could run right into danger. You could run right up on a big dog that you might, you might want to be friendly with, and they take one bite, and you're gone. That leash is not so much about enslaving him as much as it is about protecting him and allowing him to be in an environment where he can have new experiences and see new people and see new dogs and, 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 and do dog things. And I think that's the image that we have. Yes, we have boundaries. Yes, we, have, we, we are enslaved to God if we are truly walking with him because he is definitely concerned about the decisions that we make in and of ourselves. He does not want us to just go out there and make decisions that are going to hurt us or hurt others. And so, yes, there are boundaries, but that's not dependent on, uh, salvation is not dependent on those boundaries. We stick to those boundaries because we know that he has our best interest in mind. He, has, he, he went to the cross on our behalf. He showed his love for me while yet I was still a sinner. He died for me. And all I've got to do is put my faith in the work that he did on that cross when he rose from the dead. And he conquered sin and death. All I've got to do is say, you know what? I want to follow you. I want to line up with you. I am sorry for the, what I did in my past. I am sorry for the decisions I've made that were against what you desired for me. I apologize for that. I want to repent from that. I want to turn away from those things. And I want to pursue you, Christ. I want to follow you. And in following him, I am his slave because he has my best interest at heart in mind. And he writes, you were called to freedom. But do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Just don't go do what you want to do without sitting down and consulting with your Savior, with your Lord, with your Master. But through love, serve one another. This is one of the ways that I have, over the years, I have found that uh, I, you can kind of see a, a, a small character a distinguishing mark in a person when they come to faith as they start considering how they can serve others. It's how they can do something for others. And it's not just all about me. It's not like that Toby Keith song. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, me, my, oh, my. It's not, it's not that. We start looking outward. We start considering how we can help not just honor God in our walk, but how can we make other people's lives better? How can we serve one another? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is actually a quote in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Law, Leviticus 19.18. And it is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Nine times it is quoted. In six different books by five different authors, it is all over the place. Jesus actually used this text when he was asked the question by the Pharisees. What is the greatest commandment? They were hoping to get him to say one of the Ten Commandments maybe in hopes that they could say, oh, the other ones aren't important? To try to back him into a corner to catch him off guard or anything like that. And what Jesus said was, you shall, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. 
And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What Paul writes here. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what he says, what what Jesus is saying there at that time is that if you truly love here, you will love horizontally in our relationships around us. We will love others around us. And typically in my lifetime, I know this to be true, that when I have had issues with someone else where I truly did not feel like I loved them, I knew in that moment that I could feel it. If I was truth, if I was honest with myself, I could see, I got a problem here. If I got a problem with you, then I probably got a problem here. Paul here is just saying a distinguishing A distinguishing mark of someone is that they will serve one another. They will love one another. And he says, here, you love your neighbor. Love those around you like yourself. It is a... It is a characteristic that we will see in the next, in chapter, in in the second half of chapter five, that it is one of, it is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is, it is that thing that God does within us is that he begins to, he begins to transform us into self-serving individuals, into other serving followers of Jesus. So here you can see Paul as he is writing to the church in Galatians as he is communicating with them. He is turning their attention from what can you do, what can you do to make yourself right with God that if you have faith in God, you've done all you need to do. And a distinguishing mark of that is that we are serving one another, that we are loving one another. And so it's just... This last verse that we're going to look at here is just, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. He just, again, he's the opposite of loving and serving one another is biting and devouring one another. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I've told this story before, and forgive me, uh, but when we lived in Maine, uh, the boys were in the house. It was a snowstorm. There were probably two feet of snow outside, and, and, and the boys were just killing each other. They were stuck in the house and they were going bonkers. We couldn't separate them enough to keep them from, we couldn't get them doing anything to keep them from just that. Eventually they would be at each other again. And I remember I was in the back bedroom. I looked out the window and I saw some tracks around the side of the house and I saw the, a pile of shrubs that I told the boys, you need to stay off that when the snow falls because you, know, you might fall through there and hurt yourself. And I saw tracks going through it and I thought, I got those boys. Put your snow stuff on, guys. I want to show you something. And we went out there and looked, and I thought I had them. I thought I was getting ready to show them. Look, I told you to stay off this, and look, you're in it. You were in it. But what we found was moose tracks. And the boys got excited, and I got excited, and, and, and so we started tracking this thing. And it was amazing, the transformation in these two boys that were just a few minutes earlier at each other's throats, ready to throw down on each other, all of a sudden started helping each other over logs, helping each other through the obstacles, through the weeds as we were going through the woods trying to find this moose. They were working together. They were considering the other person as we were focused in on this, tracking this moose. And I think in the same way, when we take our eyes off of Christ and we're trying to balance whatever it is that we think is going to please God, whatever thing we think is going to honor God, whatever we think is going to work, 
not in the scriptures, but what we think is going to work. We take our eyes off of Christ, and we just focus in on balancing this, and everybody's got their stuff balancing, and we're running into each other. Hey, man, you're going to cause me to drop my stick, get out of my way. We're just fighting and devouring each other. But when we are pursuing Christ and genuinely allowing him to transform us in this pursuit of Christ, we are serving one another and we are loving one another. And that is just one of the many one another's that we find all through the scriptures that takes place as we not just become individual followers of Christ, but we become a part of the body of Christ. And so I hope that you see Paul here. Man, in the middle of this message, he is upset and angry with the disruption that this person is bringing to the people that he poured so much work and effort into trying to bring them to Christ and teach them about Christ and establishing leaders and all that. He has poured so much into them. He's upset about that. I understand that. But on either end of this thing, he's practically showing them, practically showing them that as an individual believer, as a body of Christ in your churches there in Galatia, here's what you need to see and understand. Pursue Christ above all things. Quit balancing all the other stuff that you want to do. And serve one another and love one another. And that is a distinguishing mark of a true believer and the body of Christ. Let's pray.